Welcome to Game Mechanics, a show about tabletop role-playing games from lots of different perspectives. I'm Logan Jenkins. Today I'm talking to Sean McCoy. Sean is one of the co-founders of Tuesday Night Games and the designer, writer, layout artist, and illustrator of Mothership, a sci-fi horror TTRPG that won the 2019 Indie for Best Game. Sean is also lead designer on other Tuesday Night Games, which makes Sean an expert on both TTRPG and board game design. That's why I wanted to talk to him. I started this conversation thinking it was going to be about the difference between board game and RPG mechanics, but it blossomed into designing games generally, graphic design, philosophy for games, remembering that players have brains and a whole bunch of other stuff. It, seriously, it's it's not overselling it to say that this conversation changed the way I think about game design. I hope you get some of the same sort of revelations from listening in. Let's get to it. Sean. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to Game Mechanics. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, I, so can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Sean McCoy. I'm one half of Tuesday Night Games, so co-designer of Two Rooms and a Boom. And then recently, our sci-fi horror role-playing game, Mothership, I also designed, uh, which just won a Gold Any for Best Game at the 20... 19 any awards as well as our first module dead planet won a silver any for best adventure that's awesome congratulations on all that yeah thank you it was uh really really exciting <laughs> i can imagine so that's what i wanted to talk to you about mostly really because you've designed board games and rpgs so this show we normally just talk about rpgs but all right for the listeners i'm designing my own rpg which is called hell team but I've I've been like spending weekends uh writing rules and stuff with with a friend that I'm that I'm co-designing it with and we've multiple times in a row painted ourselves into a corner of like oh we made a board game uh like a mechanic just feels like you're just putting you know like dice or whatever onto a thing and there's not really much theming it feels overdesigned or or too much like yeah. a game right sure yeah i can't even really put it into words because it's like it's a trap that we just are constantly falling into and i wondered if you could talk about like what do you really think the difference between a board game mechanic and an rpg mechanic is so that's really interesting you know the the first caveat being like games can be whatever you want people should explore a lot of different territory yeah um but the specific problem that you're running into which i run into a lot in role-playing game design has to do with what you personally get out of role-playing games um, so for me personally, I want the role-playing game to feel like an escape room. I want it to give me hard problems to solve. I want to use critical thinking skills and and pretend like I'm there and that I, I can solve these these problems. And sometimes in a fantasy game, that might be combat or it might be negotiation or it might be um, solving your way out of just some mystical, magical trap in, uh, in a dungeon. But what I want to do is I want me, Sean McCoy, using my brain to solve that problem, right? I don't want to say, well, my character is 18 good at solving problems and then roll a solving problem <laughs> check and then have that check, like that problem be solved sort of abstractly in the background. That's just my personal, like what I enjoy out of role-playing games. That's certainly not mm -hmm. what everybody else likes. I put it akin to, I want to play Sherlock Holmes. I don't want to play Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I don't want to go... Okay, what would be interesting <laughs> to have happen to Sherlock next? I want to be Sherlock going, okay, how do I solve this? So, yeah, to get back to the thing you were talking about, for me, I like mechanics that are tools for the players to use to solve those problems that either adjudicate 
difficult situations to model on the fly. Like if I was to say, okay, I'm going to ship you a package in this role-playing game. And uh, let's say there's like a 95% chance the package gets there totally undamaged like normal on time. Uh, can everybody agree on that? And everybody says, yeah. And so we roll uh, D100. It's a 94. Okay, cool. It got there. It looked like it was going to show up a little late. You know, Amazon says until 8 p.m. It got there at 7.55. Boom. That was like really easy to model and didn't require a lot of critical thinking. But there are some things that are really difficult to model. The go-to example is combat, right? There's all these tactical positions and how good are all the different players. And so usually it requires or warrants a good amount of rules around it so that the, the judge or the referee or the GM can be impartial without having to make up a bunch of different rulings on the fly, right? Yeah. So that they're not going like, okay, well, you, you, you're standing above him, so let's add 5%. Oh, but you're really strong, so let's add 10%. They can just use the rules as normal and the combat should come out pretty pretty well sorry i know I'm, I'm getting in the weeds on this but this is like a really deep question no i uh, this is great keep talking as long as you want because <laughs> i mean this yeah it, it is a huge question uh, like that's that's why it's hard for me to answer it it's hard for me to even know when we're going down that path you know right we had a really good concept of, of just like we want to make sure that combat and the game generally feels cinematic that's like our go-to mm -hmm. thing which is fine to say and harder to do <laughs> yeah that's a really like common like want right in a in a design process is how do, how do i want this to feel when i'm playing it i have a similar goal in like a kung fu kaiju fighting game i want it to feel like a kung fu movie right yeah so the big thing is the difference between whiteboard design and like at the table design which is that like when you find yourself getting mired in this it's good to go back and play the game because mm. there are things that seem really elegant on paper that don't affect play at all, or there are things that seem really complicated on paper that are actually the best solution in play, right? There are things you would never think of would work a certain way, but they really do. Like, you might find that for a cinematic combat experience, you don't need a lot of mechanics at all. You just need, okay, I roll, you roll, high roll gets to narrate the next 25 seconds. And, you know, whoever, like whatever the difference in our role is, is how much damage you get to do. Right. It's it's like really simple, but it's very narrative. Right. Whereas if you want to, like, encourage tactical positioning, you might want to say, like, you get a bonus if you aim, you get a bonus if you can cover. So the players are thinking, like, you know, what, I want to go into cover and I want to aim and I want to do this. I want to get the drop on them. I want to flank. I want to be from behind that kind of thing. Mm hmm. But usually I found going back and playing the game um, helps sort those problems out because you're like deep in the weeds on a theoretical thing and and just playing it will instantly answer like, is this boring or not? Yeah. So basically, I mean, just play test a lot, which is seems pretty inherently obvious, but also in practice is hard to do. It is hard to do. hard to keep reminding yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially if like I'm a stay at home dad. And so like finding that time is really difficult, but I still need to work on role playing games. It's still my job. Um, so you have to like trust, okay, how far can I go in designing this content before like it falls under the weight of not having been played enough, right? So we have dedicated playtesters, yeah. which is really, really beneficial. The other thing I'll say, uh, and I have an example from Mothership here about over-designing, is role-playing games necessitate more than board games a lot of margin space. Have you ever heard that saying, like, the thing that's useful about a vase is that there's nothing in it? <laughs> like. 
that's what's valuable about it. If it was filled with stuff, it wouldn't be useful. Oh, that's such that's such an elegant way to put it of like leaving room for everybody to fill in the gaps. That was something like when we were designing, we realized at some point like, oh, there's a human being that's going to be at the helm of this thing. And we're not using that person. We're not letting right. them have power here. Yeah, it's like a novelist knowing like, well, a person with an imagination that's like uniquely tied to their experiences and and what emotionally gets them going is going to be on the other end of this book. And as opposed to like drilling down on making them see what I see, if I can unlock them seeing the thing that they want to see, that's going to make a much more powerful connection. And so similarly, you have like these powerful human brain computers on the other end of your game. Um, so you want to do is give them tools to unlock that power and and focus it in the right direction. Right. Hmm. So like, for instance, in Mothership, we I don't know about famously, but we have no stealth mechanics <laughs> in a game uh, that's about sci fi horror. So it's about running away and hiding. Combat is very deadly yeah. and it's very difficult to do well. And so we recommend that people run away and hide, but we give them no mechanical ability to do that. There's no stealth skill. There's no like you're 25 good at stealth. So the reason we explain is we want this to be a conversation between the player and the warden because the tension in that conversation really gets at the feeling we want. So you say, okay, the, the xenomorph is creeping down the corridor. You can hear its breath um, just emanating out of its pores uh, and you see its shadow yeah. going across you know, the floor. What do you want to do? And you go, uh, 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 I want to hide. And you say, now in a, in a, a D&D type game, which I love, you might say, I want to hide. And the GM would say, okay, what's your hide skill? It's 35. Okay, go ahead and roll. And you roll and you say, okay, you don't hide or okay, you do hide. In our case, we say, okay, um, where, where can I hide? And the warden can say, well, um, you're in a room with a locker and um, a gurney and a, a stack of boxes. And the player can say, okay, um, I'll go into the locker. And you open up the locker and you see that um, there's room for you in it, but there's not room for you and your weapon. You'd have to leave your weapon out the locker. The player says, oh, fuck, okay, um, okay, I'll hide under the gurney. And I say, okay, you can hide under the gurney, but it's the first place a lot of creatures look, right? So <laughs> I will let you hide under there, but I'll have the enemy have advantage on rolling to find you. So we take all this agency away from the player mechanically, but instead what we do is we say, like, you make the best decisions you can, and based on that, we'll decide whether the enemy has a hard time, an easy time, or normal time trying to find you if it's genius and like nobody would ever see you know think to look there then they're just not going to find you so for a horror game this creates the kind of tension i want which is that you're not sure you're not sure what your chances of success are going to be it's not mechanically codified into the game you're 50 percent good at stealth 50 percent of the time you can hide you can rely on that it's all about the critical thinking and problem solving in the moment and we have this conversation back and forth so the game has left this vacuum mechanically where we expect two intelligent, reasonable people to fill in the gaps. That requires some guidance in the form of like a warden's guide that explains, hey, we didn't forget stealth mechanics. There's a very particular reason why we don't have them. And this is how we think you should handle it. And if you don't like that, if that's not the kind of game you want, then we would recommend using a speed check. You know. So to answer your question, <laughs> when you're at that place where you feel like you're over-designing a game or, or, you're, or the mechanics, you're relying on them too heavily, Going back, playing is good. Asking yourself how you want it to feel. We want it to feel cinematic is good. And then again, see what you're putting in and what you're leaving out and what could be handled by people at the table. 
without the rules, right? Without having to model it. Because I do think the most beautiful thing about role-playing games is that they're kind of a folk tradition. They're kind of like a 20 questions road trip style game where you say like, you're in a room. Yeah. Uh, there's a, you know, there's a box and a door and a, a puddle of liquid in the floor. And the players go, go like, okay, what's in the box? And the GM says, okay, the box is made of wood. You see that there's a dark stain on it and there's an engraving inside. Okay, what does the engraving say? Well, it's in this runic language. And you have this back and forth. And that's not something you codify in any rules. That's the whole game is that, that question and answer session. So trying to get back to that is something I'm always trying to do. And I can feel myself over-mechanizing it if we're rolling more, if we're checking stats more. Our goal is to get to as few rolls as possible, but for the rolls we have to be high stakes and um, for the design of those moments to, in particular, be things that would have been very difficult for the GM to come up with on the spot, where it's like, I'm working on all these economic rules for Mothership. It's there so you don't have to remember to come up with it. It's there so I could say, like, Mm -hmm. okay, a Type M asteroid has a 60% chance of having precious metals and 20% chance of having metals and a 50% chance of having (laughs) mineral ore, and these are all worth this amount. That's not work I, I think is valuable for a warden to spend their time doing, but it is valuable for like a professional designer to to put in the work and do that, right? What's more important for the warden to do is design a situation where the choice between mining an asteroid or uh, heading back home is like a high stakes choice. That's awesome. Sorry, I know that that's like a long rant. It's just something I think about all the no. time. No, no sorries. That was awesome. I think that, to, to me, the answer, like the simple answer of what's the difference between an RPG mechanic and a board game mechanic is exactly what you said about the vase. Like the great thing about the vase is there's nothing in it. And the thing about an RPG rule as opposed to a board game rule is there's room to put ideas in. Right. There's like tactical infinity in a role playing game. A board game for the most part is a closed system. Yeah. Some games like diplomacy sort of play with that. But like in chess, if you have a really creative way, like what if the pawn poisoned the queen? That's not really <laughs> accounted for in the closed system of the rules of chess. The rule book should encompass Why most not? Things. I know, yeah. And these social games and party games sort of skirt along that edge where there's a little bit more adjudication and, and social contract between the players of what is and isn't acceptable. Like I think most people would describe Werewolf and Two Rooms in a Boom as board games, but it's almost all role-playing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's interesting is like in Werewolf, for instance, which is like another folk game, so I think it's why it shares this resemblance with role-playing games, all the talking and negotiation, there's no mechanics for that other than you vote on who lives and who dies. Yeah. And you pick, you know, if you're a werewolf, you pick who lives and who dies. Everything else is pretty much fair game, and it again relies on the players to make those decisions. Even games like Taboo are the same way, where the rules are like you guess it or you don't, and there's a time limit and you can't say these words. But everything else about like how you play the game is on the players and it relies on the players, not the like mechanics to do the work. Right. Mm-hmm. Man, that's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, I'm a huge fan of the mothership character sheet because it also has the steps to create a character on it. And could you talk a little bit about your design philosophy for games and like that? general thing <laughs> yeah so uh at two Snack games we call it time to table which is that uh board games and tabletop games are the only form of entertainment in the world where someone's gonna have to read a, a, like an instruction manual internalize it then teach it to other people who haven't read the instruction manual 
and then you're all gonna like play it a couple times poorly before you even start having fun or 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 playing a sort of good version of the game you can have fun and and like be in a good mood and everything but um like the first time you play a board game uh it's like not until the very end and you score where you go like oh okay so that i shouldn't have done that i should have done it this way so we try to reduce the amount of time from when you open the box to you playing the game as much as possible and whether that's offloading some of the work of the rule book onto the components like in world championship russian roulette we we have all these player aids and all the components tell you what to do they say flip this over or remove this or draw this card we try not to use a ton of shorthand so that we understand like the context of most of these games is you have people over they're here to have a good time uh, somebody's running late somebody's ordering pizza nobody's paying attention you said you were going to read the rule book but you didn't you're reading it and everybody's like sitting staring at you waiting to like unlock this sort <laughs> of moment and we want to alleviate all that burden off because we think if we do chances are greater you're gonna have a good time you're gonna like the game you're gonna buy more of our games so that also trickles down into mothership where particularly in a role-playing game you have to go find the chapter on character creation which isn't always at the front and it's not always labeled character mm-hmm. creation it's labeled something like you know putting on the persona <laughs> i have to like go interpret like your game's lingo right and then um yeah. figure it out that i have to teach it to all of you while you're all sitting around the table so much so that it's become a really common part of role-playing game culture to have a session zero where you go over the campaign you create characters you talk about your safety tools or your lines and veils or whatever you want to have and don't have in the campaign before you get to start playing and i understand the value of that or that people have found value in that but for me in our games we wanted to be able to say okay here's the character sheet you know you should be ready to go in about five to ten minutes the pizza will be here i've got a game to play let's <laughs> jump into it some of that's selfish because i don't have a lot of time some of it's uh marketability because a lot of people do talk about it because it's a space that we've like carved out for ourselves that other people aren't really in right now and mm-hmm. some of it is also it's a crowded marketplace and so uh, and the hard like what we really wanted to do was release modules is release like good modules the mothership system itself pretty bare bones it's you know d100 system like call of cthulhu or basic role playing or all the d100 systems that came before so what's like creative about the game is not the system what it is is how quickly we try to onboard you into the experience of playing the game because we have to compete with scum and villainy and the alien rpg and star wars and all these other things <laughs> and so we want to get you in and playing our game as quick as possible and not going okay i have to learn french to play this game i have to learn your language we want to like sort of be more hospitable and say like come in come with what you know don't worry we're going to teach you everything you're going to be by the time your first turns over you're going to know how everything goes that's a huge philosophy at tuesday games and sort of echoes in a mothership I th- i think it's a wonderful thing Okay, this isn't Tuesday Night Games, but have you played Wingspan? Uh, no, I was just talking about it with Elijah because of something that happened where the retailers got mad at them because their game sold so well or something like that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good problem to have, I sure, suppose. Yeah. I bring it up in this conversation because it has a really wonderful thing where uh, there are up to five, I think, starter things where they give you this is your opening hand and this is what you should do from turns one to three and you can literally everybody who has not played the game yet you get like one person can take one of those or everybody can take one of those and have a guided experience for the first like three turns of the game That's great. and it turns it turns something that could be complicated into like a very straightforward process and everybody understands where they're at uh at the end of those turns and that's like i feel like that's a 
TKG sort of mentality Can you imagine <laughs> thing as well. Playing chess for the first time with no like, oh, my dad taught me, or oh, this friend of mine taught me in high school. And we played a bunch. Like you learn chess through an oral tradition, right? Nobody sits down and reads yeah. a chess rule book and then goes, well, I guess I'll try moving this pawn forward. Like it would be <laughs> totally random, and like eighty percent of the opening moves are bad. Um, you need to know yep. and be taught. Like, okay, there's a tradition how you do this, and these are some of the best moves, and it really feels like flailing around in the dark. But yeah, I think for a lot of games, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, this would be a good move. And I encourage like players at my table to do that, not to quarterback for each other, but like in a teaching game to say, like, if you've learned something or a reason why a card exists that nobody else has figured out, please tell us um, so that we can all get to the same level really, really quickly and start playing the real game where we're using like our critical thinking and problem solving skills, not the like fake beginner game we're all just struggling to remember how all the levers work you know right the weirdest thing to me is when somebody if if somebody is is teaching somebody how to play but still is invested in right. winning the game yeah <laughs> like i still want you to know i'm better than you i mean can you imagine <laughs> learning to drive in the middle of like a nascar <laughs> race like because that's what it feels like um if dale earnhardt jr is like uh right. just put up just put your foot on the gas it's fine i'm gonna beat the shit out of you but okay buddy you want to turn to the right a little bit yeah like um, and that's what board games ask you to do is to learn to drive while racing i don't think there's anything wrong with that but i, I want to get to the part where we're racing i want to get to the part where we're all racing yeah. more absolutely yeah that's interesting to put it in the context of role play as well. You know, um, I'm I'm following your example uh, or your advice of of playtesting often, and I I did bring like a very like an alpha version of my my game that I'm designing to the table, and a, a friend that had never played RPGs at all was there, and like two thirds of the way in, he's like, "Oh, we're just making shit up." <laughs> I get it, and I was like, "Oh." Well, yes, that's exactly it, but I I wish, um, I guess that it wasn't appropriately communicated before then of like, yeah. hey, this is imagination time. RPGs are a different sort of beast. I guess it's more popular now that D&D is so astronomically huge, but yeah, it was, I, I don't know, it was a very clarifying moment yeah that like oh yes that's 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 the nugget that i need to tell everybody when they're getting to the table if they haven't it's really humbling when somebody says like i'll play your game i've never played a role-playing game before because you realize <laughs> you have no training wheels you have nothing to lean on and there's so much more pressure to like represent role-playing games as a hobby well um <laughs> i ran a mothership for some people at an rpg symposium and like one of them had played tons of role-playing games before. Uh, one of them had played like D&D 5e once and two of them had never played before. And I like succeeded on three of them and, and lost one of the guys. He wasn't like upset, but I could tell like, oh, he was itching to, to fight something. And just the way the situation worked out, he wasn't able to. And I think if I'd had oh. my hat on a little bit better, I would have been like, and then this guy jumps out of the closet and you could shoot him if you want. <laughs> but i was just you know for whatever reason i was just in it and i was like man this guy really wants to shoot something but there's nothing around him what am i um, my hands are tied <laughs> when i should have just sort of made a better effort to to get that guy you know it's like a if you throw a party i say role-playing games are like throwing a party um like if you have vegan friends have options for them because you want them to have a good time at your party yeah <laughs> that's really what it is like there's nothing so important that you're doing that's more important than being hospitable to your guests and role-playing games are a lot like that. So where it's like, 
this guy wants to shoot some stuff and this person wants to solve a mystery. I'll just be a good host and include some of that stuff that I know they like to do and some stuff that I know I like to do because, you know, we're six people all going to spend two hours together. Yeah. On on that note, like what, how do you equip a DM? Like that's, that's basically like, is that person a good DM or not? How do you equip somebody through the rules of your game to be that person that knows how to take care of their guests? So, um, the like the old wisdom is you have like a dungeon master's guide and you give them advice and kind of like liner notes about this is why we did this this is what we think you should do etc i'm working on the mothership version of the dungeon master's guide right now the warden's operations manual so this is a problem we're trying to solve and we're solving it in a few different ways first off is offloading some of the work on the components like a dungeon master screen mm-hmm. will typically have the rules of the game on it as a reference, right? Yeah. Um, we're going to throw that concept away because we think after a couple playthroughs as the dungeon master, you know the rules already. Um, and so there's yeah. diminishing returns on how useful that screen can be for you. Um, we also put the rules on the back of the player's guide. So we already have that sort of as a resource. So the warden's guide, we're going to put generative tools that help you with problems I run into all the time. Random encounters, generating clients, you know, coming up with a planet on the, on the, by the seat of your pants, things that help unlock your ability to improvise in the moment, because that's a tool that you'll keep on using over and over and over and over again. Uh, in the warden's guide, we have tons of generative content, like here's how to do bounty hunting, here's how to mine asteroids, because we know players are going to want to do a lot of different stuff. Um, and then we're working on an advice section about like how to adjudicate um, a failed role. So like in D&D, if you say like, I want to attack. And I say, okay, roll a D20 and add your basic attack bonus. And, you know, their AC is 17 and you roll 16. I usually say, you miss. And we move on. Some of that is fine uh, because, you know, we've got a lot of combat to get through and you want to be quick. Um, But we put in a little section that says, like, failure is not a binary state. And you shouldn't rule it that way in Mothership. You can can just say, like, okay, you fail and that, you know, situation's over and we're moving on. But you can also say you succeed, but it takes more time than you wanted, or you succeed and it took resources you didn't want to spend, or you fail and the situation gets worse, or you succeed and the situation gets much worse. You know, you attack your enemy, (laughs) but in, uh, you know, fighting with them, you've actually been drawn into the center. Now you're surrounded. Right. And those are good GM sort of things um, to think about is, is interpreting the, like the, the, the bones or the the sort of like omens that you're throwing down with the dice in a way that yeah. moves the the narrative forward and also moves the sort of tactical situation i don't mean just in a combat sense but i mean in like a problem solving sense that says like okay you're out of the frying pan and you're into the fire now we do some stuff like we were writing a little bit about how to run horror which is hard to do but really at the beginning of the book i wrote this little bit that was um like, why did we write this? And we just say, this book is meant to be a toolbox for running campaigns of Mothership and awesome one-shots. It's not meant to be memorized, but rather as a way to customize Mothership to your table's liking. Running a great game session is like throwing a good party. You want to have something for everyone and not invite assholes over. Try not to think <laughs> of this as a rule book or an official how-to guide on running Mothership, but rather a collection of resources that you can break out in times of trouble to help you shape your world. You don't need to know the procedure for asteroid mining off the top of your head, and you don't have to use our procedure, obviously, to run a game. 
But if you want something more detailed, a more detailed look into how something like smuggling or bounty hunting might work, we try to do the heavy lifting for you so you can focus on important things like throwing that party. So like for us, it's about saying like, here's a bunch of stuff you might want to do. And we went and like did the design for it. And it's here if you want. A lot of people have like a oral tradition or history with role playing games and they know how they want to do things. But I remembered when I was getting into D&D and people were talking about things like hex crawls, I was going like, okay, so there's like hexes around me. What do I say? Do I say there's a mountain in the distance? Okay, you've entered here and now I roll a random encounter. When does that encounter happen? Um, so we want it to be like a little bit of handholding for new people and we want it to be a little bit of advanced stuff. But really what we want to do is have it be like the GM is performing surgery and we want to be that nurse with a tray of like scalpel forceps and just be ready <laughs> to hand you the things you need during this very complicated operation so you can, you know, sort of keep the game alive. That makes sense. I think that's maybe a better way to do it of, to, of letting the GM know, hey, a failure doesn't have to be binary. It's it's something that I'm drawn to in like the FFG Genesis system where you can have levels of success. Like you can have like you failed, but also the best thing happened. And I don't know, there's a lot of different variations of success or, or, or failure, but the, the book doesn't really guide you on what that means. Um, I do right. think that's one of the things I'm talking about of like, it seems more like a board game where you're just adding up numbers than like what you suggested, which is just like making shit up. Yeah, it's like, like a human, like, con- like uh, Ben Milton, who runs Questing Beast, um, like a very popular YouTube uh, RPG review channel. Um, he's a fifth grade teacher. And so he only plays Dungeons and Dragons with fifth graders. And for them, it's <laughs> very much like structured play. It's like recess, you know? Like if like I have this vivid memory of being like playing X-Men with a friend and being like, I'm Wolverine and him being like, no, I'm Wolverine. And then me going, "Okay, well, I'm Gambit. And he goes, no, I'm Gambit, too. And like (laughs) you can be rogue or whatever. And uh, having that feeling like, well, this isn't fair. There are no rules. You know, I don't get to be anything I want to be. And I think role playing (laughs) games give you that little bit of like balance to where we all agree when we enter sort of the magic circle, like a little bit of what the structure is going to be like. From there, we should be really free to explore a lot of different territory. I'm going to start running yeah. Mothership for my uh, girlfriend and her friends, or not Mothership, uh, D&D, for the first time ever. She's never played Dungeons & Dragons before. And I can't wait because I know her first reaction to seeing a goblin is not going to be like, all right, roll initiative, let's kill this guy. And and <laughs> that really ignites me, not because I'm like anti-combat, but because we have all this genre savviness as role-playing gamers. And so we end up going into cliches because we know that's what the game expects of us. And it's really interesting to me to see a player who has no preconceived notion of like what is and isn't allowed to go like, can we do this? You know, I have a lantern. Would that help? Or I have this. And and I want to see, like I want combat to happen when it should happen. But I also want people to go like, now that goblin seems hungry. You know, I have rations. Would the goblin accept rations? And I would totally be willing to be like, yes, they would. Let's let's go down that avenue and explore that a little bit. So I'm really yeah, that's excited. that's been a re- that's been a recurring a theme of this show so far. Is like, uh, I mean, just there's a lot of inherent problems in D and D. It's been like that's one of the things that I ask. I'll ask you in a second. But if you could fix anything in a game, what would it be? But uh, yeah, that's been a recurring theme of like. Uh, I'd make it so there aren't just 
people who are just there to kill that also have thinking abilities right. in D&D. <laughs> and the easiest thing I found is like, what do they want? And give me tools for what they want. I'd love to play a Miyazaki type Dungeons and Dragons game where everyone has these desires and issues and, and they want things you could bargain with them or do things for them. And the game does provide that stuff if you go looking for it, uh, but it could do a better job. Like, and I have no problem with just like killing a bunch of orcs. That does not bother me in the slightest. But I do want options for not doing that also because that makes the game that much more expansive to me. If I can say like yeah. they are, you know, attacking, and you know, not everybody has to be like super empathized and humanized with. I don't need to go like, what are the ghost demon <laughs> skeletons like? <laughs> what what's their problem? <laughs> but I do want to say like, okay, cool. I want to have this problem like no face in spirited away you would never run into that in a DD game right like that no. solving the no face problem is like pulling out this like oh wait no not no face what's the goopy lake creature where you have to like pull a bike out of it at the spa that's what i'm talking about spirited oh, away they have this nasty uh... like mud monster right and everyone like avoids it and then uh yeah shihiro starts cleaning it and they realize it's just like a polluted lake you would never run into that in D. &D. um that the, the the solution to the problem of the mud monster would never be like clean it, but I'd like that. Yeah. That's yeah. I want like, now that you've said that, I want that to be a thing. A Miyazaki RPG yeah. sounds great. Where just every, everything that you meet is an adorable creature that you can make friends with if you want. <laughs> yeah. And, and like all that requires is like something I like about powered by the apocalypse games or D 100 games like mothership is they get you up on blocks quick. Basically, like they give you a system that's balanced and they say like, OK, you can reskin all this and you have a game. The thing I don't like is a lot of people stop there. And yeah. um, we're at that point uh, as a publisher with Mothership where there are no more easy problems left to solve. There's only hard problems. And <laughs> we basically can like stop here and be like, the game is good. Or we can say like, OK, let's learn how to design an economy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I want in a role playing games is to drive towards hard design problems and solve them. So like. A rule book that says, hey, here's how you create really interesting characters that have wants and needs and problems that you can fix. Um, and whether that's tables or generative or just advice, like I want somebody to go solve that design problem, not just say like, just roll your empathy skill and like you fix the monster's issue. Because I think we know how to create a pretty good combat scenario. Like it's well trodden ground. I mean, we don't even do it as well as we could be doing it, but like we do it functionally to where people play D&D every week and it's never a problem. But Mm -hmm. We could use a lot more tools for designing interesting social encounters, not with social mechanics like I have a negotiate skill, but encounters of like this person wants this, but says this. And they're doing that because they have pressure coming from this angle. And you can figure all that out if you ask the right questions. I love that's that. what I'm really interested in. And that's, you know, that's a hard design problem to solve. I hope some young kid like goes and tackles that. <laughs> uh, challenge accepted. I, um... <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah let's 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 do this if you could fix anything in a game fixes in quotes here what would it be in any game that exists that i am not writing myself i mean you could do i feel like it's probably cheating to do one that you designed yourself but i'm not i mean like this this is an open-ended question No, i'm constantly like going like this game is broken and i want to go fix it so like um <laughs> something i'm working on right now i like the game BattleTech, right? But it's complicated and it's clunky and it takes a while. And it's a war game, so it's meant to take like two to four hours and be done. I want to have the Battletech experience where I like have mechs and I go blow each other up. 
but I want it to take 30 minutes. And before that battle, I want to go to a village that's like starving because of war and have them be like, please, sir, the mechs are attacking. Help us. <laughs> and then have to build bonds with those people and to, to actually play in a campaign that takes place in a war. It seems like a big fix. Yeah, that's the <laughs> type of thing I think of. The simplest one would be um, I want somebody, and again, this is something I'm working on, to make more investigative mystery style role playing games about you solving the mystery and not about your character solving the mystery. I want to hmm. have Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, the RPG, where you really think about, you know, the clues and the evidence and you try to come to some conclusions. And if you don't, bad things happen but you can't roll your way out of it you have to like think your way out of it that's like the thing i would fix hmm. so just basically strip out intelligence rolls i've i've long been an advocate for i mean like it's it's kind of fun to play a dumb character right sure. but at the end of the day your intelligence stat like you're it just physically it just mechanically cannot be higher than how smart you are right <laughs> like it just never tracks uh, and basically, it's always exactly the same smart as you are, because even like the fighter with a eight intelligence in D&D, like the person driving the fighter is like, well, what if we investigate this, th this rune? And like the fighter would never think about that, but you just can't help but be as smart as you are. That's just it's interesting you know? that, uh, you know, Gygax and Arneson named them like strength, constitution, intelligence, because in, in 1974 edition of D&D in the white box, those don't like track on really anything according to the rules. They have very, very little effect on the game, your stats. Huh. They could have been called like number of spells you can cast a day, additional hit points. Like they could have been called the effect they had. I don't think there's anything wrong with the way they went, but they so codified stats as a description for what your character is like, which is not a problem. It's just not my preferred method of play. Um, that like an investigation game I'd run, I'd want to quantify things like your contacts, a field that you've specialized in. Like, I don't have a problem saying like, well, your guy's a biologist. So like, you know, this, I could just tell you this information because, you know, you worked in biology, but removing stuff like intelligence, because for me, like I said, at the very, very beginning, what's interesting and fun to me is me solving the problem. And I, I get why people are like, well, I'm not strong, but I still have a strong character. But for, for me, something very, very core about the role playing game experience is like me thinking I'm there. What would I do? Yeah. I mean, you can't really escape thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's just intrinsically part of your experience playing anything or doing anything. Now, that being said, at my table, anyone who wants to get out of like a hard conversation like that with a role is totally welcome to. These are like my personal believies. They're not like dictates <laughs> for how people should have fun at my table or anybody else's. Like if some I, I like having I like having rules of like, is this person having a good day or a bad day sort of outcomes? You know what I yeah. mean? Like if you make a charisma check or an intelligence check or whatever, it's just it's just asserting like, is this person in the mood to deal with you or not today? Because that's sort of that that is random. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and like if the thiefy player just likes to roll to hide and doesn't want to look for hiding spots like that's what they're there to do. That's their game. But when I design games, yeah. I get to do whatever I want. Um, and people who don't like it don't have to play it. Can but fuck at my off. Table, <laughs> yeah. At my table, it's different because I'm dealing with real human beings who are there on a Friday night and have worked all week. And they want to kill some goblins or, like, find some treasure or whatever. And it's not really the time to, like, impose my 
designer auteur like this is the way i think it should be it's the time <laughs> to go like let's have fun yeah let's look for a hiding spot like oh can i just roll my stealth yes you can let's do that too <laughs> you know i, I want to meet my players where they are because they have a pretty good idea of what they want and we could start out with like my menu and they could say like actually do you just have some chips and i could say <laughs> yeah we do have some chips i really like nachos so yeah no right. that's i think like the distillation of this of this conversation is like vases are good because they're empty. Yep. When you host an RPG, it's like you're hosting a party and meet your players where they are. That's yeah. Yeah. That's really good advice, Sean. (laughs) Thank you. I love it. I spent all my time thinking about it. Um... Hey, uh, yeah. Uh, anything on the way out you need to do? I mean, do you want some, do you, do you want to do some plugs? Sure. Uh, you can get the whole catalog of Mothership Games at ExaltedFuneral.com, our sort of retail partner. Hmm. And the rulebook is free on itch.io or drivethroughrpg.com. We always have the free rulebook, so you can check it out and see if it's something you're interested in. Let's pay what you want. Sweet. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Logan. I was glad to be here. Yay. a great conversation thanks again to sean mccoy you can follow him at sean mccoy on twitter and tuesday night games at play tkg you can find more info about mothership and sean's other games at tuesdaynightgames.com just so you know that night is spelled with a k your homework this week is to tell me a story about a player surprising you with a creative solution it could be you too whatever tweet it to me at logan jenkins if you want to hear more from me check out very random encounters a podcast where friends and i play ttrpgs and randomize as much as possible Game Mechanics is part of the Orange Groves. Check out theorangegroves.com to support this and other great shows on the network. And until your next checkup, that'll be 2750. Bye!